Today's reading comes from John chapter 6, verses 14 through 15, chapter 18, verses 33 through 37, and chapter 19, verse 16. We'll be reading from the New International Version. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Good morning, everyone. Pastor Sharon here. It's good to be together with you again. This morning, I'm wondering, are you getting weary of the turmoil around us in our political world? You know, we've had an election season that has gone on far too long, and now a transition that may be disruptive disruptive to all of us for weeks to come. You know, I ran into someone from Pine Lake, a man from Pine Lake, recently, And in our conversation, the subject of politics came up, and he said to me, I'm just ready to move on. Now, I received that comment not as a a partisan thing, a comment about any political party, but just his sincere desire for some normalcy to return in our country. That's probably a, a longing for all of us. And yet, our current window on the political landscape in the United States has challenged us to look at what kind of authority, what kind of kingdom we're actually hoping for. And so we've been in this series called No Other King. We've been moving beyond just political conversations and discussions to see what kind of kingdom we're basing our lives on. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you, along with I, declare Jesus is King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. And yet his earthly message and his life revealed a king that couldn't be understood always. It confounded people's understanding of kingship. Today we're going to see this. Pictures of kingship that confounded the political rulers and the inflamed the religious authorities of Jesus' day. You see, in Jesus' first coming to earth, His kingship was mainly hidden from view. A king who goes to the cross, what kind of king is that? And yet as we finish this series, No Other King, next week, Pastor Jedediah will unpack a different scene. When Jesus comes in a a second time and he's revealed to all as king in all his glory and all his majesty. But today's text asks us to consider what does it mean to encounter a king that sometimes appears hidden from our understanding. 
we're going to find that Jesus' kingship is responded to in a variety of surprising ways. So here's where we're going to look at this title, this sermon entitled Encountering Jesus the King. First of all, looking at Pilate in Jesus, then the crowds in Jesus, and finally, our response to Jesus. So first of all, Pilate in Jesus. If you have your Bibles, either in print or digital form, I invite you to look again to John chapter 18. We're focusing particularly on verses 33 to 37. And it's Jesus' kingship that is the issue in this trial before Pilate. You know, from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, it had taken place in a politically and religiously challenging time. The environment that Jesus came into was challenged by Herod the Great. His his birth was challenged by that, and his growing up years in the context of Roman-occupied territory. And while he invited people of all walks of life to enter the kingdom of God, his ministry offended the religious leaders of his day. Throughout his ministry, some made demands that he would fulfill their hopes for a king, and others rejected his kingship outright. We can kind of look back in some of the ways, even in this Gospel of John, where Jesus had refused the earthly entrapments of kingship. And I want you to just look at a few of them with me this morning to um, recognize that Jesus isn't going to succumb to the expectations of those who wanted to define him and define his kingship. He never stopped being the sovereign king. He did it on his terms. Think back on to the incident where Jesus fed the 5,000. Jesus provides a full meal for a large crowd from this boy's simple lunch. And after the people realize the magnitude of what they've been given, they marvel, they recognize that this is a prophet. This is somebody like Moses who is going to deliver us and lead us. And so they want to take Jesus by force to become king. But Jesus rejects this kind of kingship. It says in John 6, 15, Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus is not a king who meets our demands or our timelines. Or think of the incident right at the beginning of this of the Passion Week where Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, receiving the cheers of the crowds. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel, a king on a colt. It's a prophetic reminder, but also confounding to the disciples. And it isn't until later that they recognize the significance of what had happened. Some had anticipated a king who would take political control in Israel. But Jesus is not a king who is legitimized by the acclaim or the expectations of the crowds. In both of these examples, we see that Jesus defines his kingship on his terms. And in today's text, it's the political and religious establishments that seek to define or deny his kingship. Before we jump into this passage here in verse 33, remember that Jesus had been arrested through the combined efforts 
and authority of the chief priests and the Roman uh, rulers. And after several interrogations from the high priest all through the night, Jesus is now brought before Pilate, the Roman governor. And the trial begins with a question. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Some say that this could even be translated, you are the king of the Jews, because the Greek um, allows for either translation. But whatever the case, Pilate is looking at this man in front of him, and his first words are, are you a king? It's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Pilate, for certain, had heard accusations against Jesus. He had most likely already authorized this regiment of soldiers that had gone out and carried and brought Jesus um, and arrested him and brought him for trial. So is Pilate mocking this man that stands before him in humble attire, this king whose friends had abandoned him? Or is Pilate really seeking to unearth if Jesus is a threat to his own rule and authority? We don't know Pilate's heart in this, but we don't do know that Jesus doesn't directly answer him. It's always been interesting to see how Jesus often responds to a question with a question. And he says here as well to Pilate, is this your own idea? Verse 34, or did others talk to you about me? This is where Jesus is saying to Pilate, how did you find out about me? What do you know about me? Pilate asks later, Jesus, what have you done to actually come before me? What is it that you're being accused of? And it's here that Jesus speaks more clearly. Verse 36, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Pilate had asked Jesus if he was a king, and then Jesus placed the issue before Pilate by referring to the origins of his kingdom, not its earthly trappings. Where does this kingdom come from? Jesus' kingdom isn't cut from the same cloth as earthly kingdoms. It's not based on power-seeking or military might or violent insurrections. Jesus' kingdom had a different origin and employs different tactics. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. Now from the rest of Jesus' words, and especially his actions, it's obvious that Jesus doesn't mean that his kingdom has nothing to do with matters of this world. As followers of Jesus, we recognize Jesus' kingdom may not be from here, but yet it is for here. In one of the great books I've been reading um, recently around this, it's called The Liturgy of Politics by Caitlin Scheiss, Spiritual Formation for the Sake of Our Neighbors. And she says this about Jesus' kingdom. When Jesus says that his kingdom is not of this world, he's not saying it has nothing to do with this world. His kingdom simply does not conform to the expectations and paradigms of this world nor does it follow the rules that earthly rulers do. So King, Jesus' kingdom is not just a spiritual 
personal reality, although it is that. Jesus is saying, when he says, my kingdom is not of this world, it has actually authority over all worlds, over all creation, over every system, every history of the world, over everything in the spiritual realm, the physical realm, the political realm, over the past, the present, the future. My kingdom is not of this world because it's above and beyond this world. And so a G, a Pilate, after hearing this, Jesus talk about his kingdom, he says, you are a king then. If Jesus has talked about his kingdom, there must mean, it must mean he is a king. And Jesus will allow Pilate to refer to him as king, but not to define what being a king means. He radically redefines kingship when he says, my kingdom is not from this world. Yes, Pilate, your words are correct, but not in the way you understand them. My kingdom is not based on power trappings, but on truth. Verse 37 says, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me, Jesus says. The kingship of Jesus is beyond the scope of human labels, human understanding. Jesus is here to say, I testify to the truth and the truth is received by those who follow me. Jesus demonstrates, and the purpose of his kingdom is to say that God's love and justice reign forever. This is the objective and verifiable truth of his kingdom, found only through Christ and his words. Pilate later famously asked Jesus, what is truth? He didn't realize that truth itself was standing right in front of him. Jesus says, my purpose was come, is to come and speak truth about my kingdom, a kingdom that will upend every other truth. <clears throat> Tim Keller in his book, Jesus the King, says it this way. If this gospel, that the kingdom of God is at hand, that Jesus is our king, and that he has earned our way to God, if this gospel is true, it changes everything for us. Pilate encountered Jesus and responded with questions about his authority and his purpose. It might have appeared that Pilate and the Jewish leaders had the weight of authority on their side, but we see Jesus as the one who holds true authority, ultimate truth. To acknowledge him as king changes everything. So Pilate encounters Jesus as king. And now we move to the crowd and their encounter with Jesus in the second text we had read from John 19. The crowd's reaction to Jesus as king. You know, all through this trumped up trial, the religious leaders had twisted their own laws, used their own authority to stir the crowds against Jesus. And Pilate here tries now to set Jesus free several times. If you read the text, there are at least three times he's saying, I don't find any fault in this man. But the Jewish leaders refer not to the authority of God, but the authority of Caesar when they reject this. Verse 12 says, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. In claiming to be a king, Jesus is a 
posing your rule, pilot. You must use your rightful civil authority, they're saying, to carry out our religious law and get rid of this man who claims to be the son of God. All along, most of these Jewish leaders had rejected Jesus' claim, plotted for his death. And now they stir the crowds into this plot to call for Jesus' crucifixion. Pilate offers one more token to this angry crowd. He brings Jesus before them, probably mocking his kingship by having his soldiers put on his head a crown of thorns and on his back a purple robe. Here is your king, Pilate says to the crowd. But the crowd calls only for his crucifixion. Ironic that even in this way, John is showing that by calling Jesus king and calling his for his crucifixion, we're elevating Jesus to the highest place of his kingship. The Jewish leaders have made it dramatically clear where their allegiance lies, though. They say, we have no king but Caesar. The emperor is our king, not this Jesus. They deny Jesus and give allegiance to a tyrant king. This was more than a desire to hold on to their own power. It's denying God's kingship and the truth that Jesus had come to proclaim. And this stark statement, we have no king but Caesar. It can be a challenge to our own allegiances. I wonder, maybe not in that same crowd, but when we're faced with a choice, with pressures from other authoritative voices, are we able to stand and say, we have no king but Jesus? These texts show Jesus encounter with people and his kingship being revealed and responded to in different ways. Pilate encounters Jesus and questions his kingship. The crowds and religious leaders encounter Jesus and reject his kingship. But what about you? What about us? How do we respond to Jesus as king? I want to encourage you, challenge myself as well, to consider these ways that we might honor Jesus as king. First of all, by acknowledging his supremacy. What does it really mean that Jesus is king in every arena of our lives? Dutch theologian and politician Abraham Kuyper has this very famous saying, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine, mine. For the Christian, Jesus is king over every, every single sphere of life, finances, relationships, politics, education, creation care, careers, family life, church life. He is supreme. But am I willing to bow to his authority in each of these areas? Do I let him take control? You know, he's not the kind of king who imposes himself in a dictatorial way. He doesn't exercise his authority by forcing our obedience. He invites us to make a choice. Will you acknowledge his supremacy? 
Can you look over every square inch of your existence and declare, this is Christ's? So we can honor Jesus as king by acknowledging his supremacy, but we also honor him by listening to his words. Jesus had said in this encounter with Pilate that he came to speak the truth, to testify to the reality of life under God's reign. And we honor Jesus as king by really listening to his words, having ears to hear and hearts to obey. Jesus' words and really the whole scope of scripture aren't optional ideas to casually fit into our own personal worldview. Because Jesus is king, his words have authority over all other words. And so we place ourselves under his words, under the authority of scripture in humble obedience. Are you listening to his words? Am I listening to his words? Am I placing myself under the scriptures, under them, rather than over them with my own intellect and my own opinion? We honor Jesus as king by listening to his words. And that is my prayer for us as a church, my friends, that we would acknowledge his supremacy and that we would listen to his words and humbly obey. But we also acknowledge Jesus as king by receiving his love. John's gospel, as it moves to this point of the week of Jesus' passion, is drawing us to this amazing truth that Jesus' kingship was most fully seen in his death. Those who can hear that message of his resurrection will see him as true king because his kingship isn't shown in political dominance, but in suffering love. Encountering Jesus, the king. His kingship may be hidden to some, but it's most fully revealed as he went to the cross for you and for me. You know, Pilate and the crowds had exercised their ultimate weapon, the weapon of violence, when the true king was nailed to a cross. But Jesus has the final word. He proves his supremacy by showing that love conquers all. Even on the cross, asking God to forgive those who had put him there. This is love. This is the heartbeat of the kingdom of God. Jesus, the king, condemned, forsaken, but out of love going to the cross. His ultimate triumph as king came as he willingly gave his life so you could have life, so I could have life. Is Jesus truly king? Then let's acknowledge his supremacy. Let's listen to his words. Let's receive his love and then proclaim with the fullest measure of our hearts, this is amazing love and you, God, are my king. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, we so easily speak these words, you are my king. But we ask that you remind us today that means we're acknowledging that every inch of our lives is under your loving and authoritative care. Help us to listen to your words, 
to lean into the love that you've shown us at the cross and then to come out of all of it and say with conviction, Jesus, you are my king. May it be so. May it be so in our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.